This is our second session on 1 Thessalonians 1, 7-10. We'll pick it up right here. They themselves, these people that heard about what had happened in Thessalonica and the amazing conversion that they experienced, they themselves report concerning us what kind of entrance we had among you. And then the effect on the Thessalonians and how you turned toward God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Next time we'll talk about how utterly crucial the role of the Son of God is. But right now, the focus is on your faith toward God and your turning toward God from idols. So, Father, as we try to understand what this entrance was like and what it meant for the Thessalonians to turn toward you away from idols, show us what really happened there and what similar kinds of things need to happen in our own lives that are tempted to be idolatrous. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I put the Greek here just so that you could see that this word entrance, which is translated in some translations, reception, is in fact the same as we find in chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our entrance, same word, to you was not in vain, but Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness. So he's describing their entrance. Our entrance to you was with boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. So Paul's describing his entrance, his boldness, his conflict as he enters. And that's what we saw back in chapter 1, verses. Uh, let's see, right here, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you accepted the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now that imitators of us refers back to the entrance they had. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. In other words, this, this word, this power, this Holy Spirit conviction is describing Paul's entrance into Thessalonica. You know what kind of men we prove to be. And then the effect of Paul's entrance produced in the Thessalonians an imitation of him, Silvanus, and Timothy, and of the Lord. So that's the package, the package of, of this entrance here. They themselves, the reputation that has gone out to every place about what happened in Thessalonica is about our entrance in the power of the Holy Spirit 
and then its effect on you in producing faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ or faith toward God and then producing a deliverance from idols to serve the living and the true God. And, and I might just point out again, like last time, the four generations of imitation. So Paul comes in power and in the Holy Spirit, and the effect was that they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. And the reason they're imitating the Lord is because Paul is imitating the Lord. So generation number one, the Lord's suffering. Generation number two, Paul and his band coming in the power of the Spirit with boldness in the midst of conflict. Generation number three, the imitation of the Christians in Thessalonica, and then they become an example. So you became an example to all the believers. That's generation number four. That's amazing. Can't help but feel the impact that Paul wants to show about the horizontal effect of Christ to Paul, Paul to Thessalonians, Thessalonians to others right down to our, our own day. So now let's think for just a moment about this deliverance from idolatry. You know the entrance. We get a report concerning ourselves and the kind of entrance we had among you. And here's what it looked like in its best outcome. You turned toward God, and that toward God is the same phrase as faith toward God right here. You turn toward God from idols to serve the living and true God. So if you take that word living and that word true, you see two tremendously important differences between the living God, who is the Father of Jesus Christ. Talk about next time. That living, that God is living and he's true. So you can speak of gods as true and false. You can speak of gods as living and dead. And these idols from whom they turned were dead, lifeless, inactive, and they were false. So that's very crucial to see. In fact, let's, let's go watch this happen back in the actual event. Here we are at Acts 17, 4 to 8. Paul has preached in Thessalonica, and here's what happened. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. Devout there probably means that they were uh, attenders at the synagogue, usually called um, God-fearers. So some Gentiles had already been attracted to the Jewish God. And not a few of the leading women. So there's a picture of the early set of converts as Paul preaches. The Jews who, who did not believe were jealous and they dragged some of the brothers, the new Christians, before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king. Jesus. 
And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Okay, now that's the enemy's rendering of what's been happening. And the truth in it is at least this. Even though Paul tried his best to teach people to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and be subject to the ones that God has put in authority, we know that he said, wherever that line of the authority of Caesar's contradicts the authority of King Jesus, you go with Jesus. And these enemies, they picked up on that. And you can see how idols were threatened, right? If Caesar had said, this is an idol of mine, you must bow down before this idol because it represents my authority. Those who have now turned to King Jesus can't do that anymore, hence affliction, right? Hence persecution. So that's the picture of what's happening. And when Paul got just a, you know, just a few days later after he left Thessalonica, he arrives in Athens and it says, now, while Paul was waiting for Silvanus and Timothy at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So the Roman Empire, including the Greek cities in the Roman Empire, were full of idols. And here's what happens when it comes to Paul's message crossing purposes with those who make idols. This is Acts 19 in Ephesus. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, okay, idols made to one of the Greek gods whose Roman form was Diana, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Ah, money's going to be involved. These he gathered together with workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Uh-huh. Oh, this is going to be so important as Paul goes forward. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that the gods made with hands are not God. So this is what Paul does everywhere. Everywhere Paul goes, he upsets the world. He turns the world upside down by saying the very way you make your living by producing idols to false gods is wrong. That's really a problem for Paul. (laughs) And there is danger not only that this trade of ours, this trade of ours may come into disrepute and thus we lose all our money but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world, maybe even down there in Thessalonica, worship. One last text to show how deeply Paul is penetrating into all of our lives with this. Here's Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Money. I want more money. I want as much money as you have. I want to be rich, which is idolatry. So, the entrance that we had 
was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Its effect was to produce a kind of joy in the Holy Spirit that was far greater than the joy of any money and that it could bring or any idol could bring. And therefore, because we brought a greater joy, you saw that this joy was rooted not in a new idea, but in a new power. This was joy in the living God. God, active, alive, true, had produced in you something that the idols could not, a spiritual, eternal joy. And therefore, you were turning away from idols, and you were ready to become the servants, the slaves of the living and true God, because why wouldn't you? There's more joy to be had in the living and the true God than there is to be had in dead and false idols, no matter how much money they made you. Now the question is, how does the Son of God relate to that? 